Hey, happy December, Melissa. Happy December, Kyle. We have made it to the last month of the year, um, and I know we talk about this all the time, but it's I'm not real sure how we got here. <laughs> nope. And you know, I, every every everybody I talk to, every member I talk to, says the same thing. You know, where yeah. the year goes. <laughs> Here we are. We've made it to the end of this year. Um, And it's been quite a year here at CMAA. Um, But and we're going to be doing a few episodes this month to kind of wrap the year up and and tie it up all nice and neatly in a pretty little bow. Uh, But before we go into all of those things, um, our first episode of this month is a really special one. This is one of our favorite episodes to do every year. This is when we get to sit down and talk to this year's Club Executive of the Year. And Melissa, I will let you explain what the Club Executive of the Year program is, uh, since you are so close to it. Um, And you can introduce our illustrious winner this year. Um, But you guys will really love the conversation that we had. So Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about Club Executive of the Year? Sure, absolutely. So if you're not familiar with this annual award, it actually dates back to 1985 and was started by Club Management Magazine. And the original title of the award was the Club Manager of the Year. And in case you're um, wondering, a little Easter egg of trivia, our first uh, 1985 Club Manager of the Year was past president, Laurice T. Bud Hall, MCMCCE, if you knew him. Uh, Great guy. So annually, the magazine recognizes outstanding professionalism and club leadership with this award. And they retitled it to the Club Executive of the Year to really make that Uh, reflect what it is today. And it is presented every year to a club management professional who embodies professionalism within their club and the greater community, embracing mentoring, creating a supportive club culture, and impacting their local CMA chapter through sustained engagement. So nominations come in from all over the country, and those nominations are multifaceted. They have to have Uh, letters from your club, they have to have a letter from your mentee, and they have to have a letter from your local chapter, as well as provide a copy of your resume uh, and experience in the industry. And those nominations are accepted in early fall, and then selections are made by a diverse committee of club management professional CMAA members. They are a fabulous group of volunteers who do the arduous uh, task of reading through all of the amazing nominations that we receive every year. And it is more and more difficult every year to make every, that election. Truly. Well, and I think that's a really important thing to note, the fact that this is an award, even though it is sponsored by the magazine, right? Like, I think people kind of get a little confused. Sponsored by the magazine, but broadly, this award is chosen by your peers. This is not something that Melissa or I or any super secret convening of CMA staff people are are sitting in a special room like we're choosing the Pope or something. That's not how this works. This is a committee of your peers who come together to review all of these submissions and really pour over them in detail to select uh, the winner each year. So this is this is really an honor and, and, and something that's really special. And I, I love the way that this award has evolved, especially over the last couple of years, um, to really distinguish it uh, from, you know, some of our other award programs or recognition programs like the fellows, um, and things like that. So it's fantastic. And, uh, we're really excited to share with you who our, who our winner is. So Melissa, do you want to introduce our 2023 club executive of the year? Absolutely. This 17 year member of CMA, Boris Grudina, MCMCCE currently serves as the general manager, club exec, sorry, chief executive officer of Maryland Golf and Country Clubs up in beautiful Bel Air, Maryland, right up the road. Um, and Boris is no stranger to this podcast. In fact, our longtime listeners will remember back in 2020 when Boris earned his Master Club Manager designation, and he shared with our listeners about his monograph on employee on that onboarding. So actually went back to the archives this morning, so we'll drop a link to this in our show notes as well. But check out episode 33, which is all about onboarding new employees. It's a great great podcast. It's a great uh, process. And I think you'll see with this interview that Boris feels very strongly about his team and working with his team and helping to nurture talent um, and to really change lives. I was just blown away by this interview. So let's go ahead and roll it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Boris. We are thrilled that you've been selected as the 2023 Club Executive of the Year. 
So we'll, we'll start with a softball question. How are you? How's your fall been? Uh, I'm great. Uh, thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Kyle, for having me back here in this great podcast. I, I appreciate it. I didn't expect ever to be invited back, but you see it happened. <laughs> I'm grateful. Thank you. So how's my poll? My poll has been uh, like uh, probably uh, every club manager's poll in, in the country, busy and, uh, you know, just a typical, you know, life, great life of a club manager, nothing exciting, being busy, trying to recruit staff, trying to, you know, find uh, good employees, uh, dealing with the, you know, with the boards and, you know, living a dream. Yeah. Love it. So we're, we're thrilled that you've been selected as the 2023 Club Executive of the Year. And you have, a, you really have a really interesting story in the industry. So take us, take us back. How did you first get started in the club industry? So, yeah, it would probably should, I would probably should go back uh to the to my childhood i was uh i was born and raised in former yugoslavia in uh, bosnia and then uh, during my teenage years civil war broke out right and uh, i had to leave the country uh you know as a refugee that's how i ended up in the united states but during my childhood my family owned the restaurants you know and uh, my mom she would take care of the front of the house and everything my dad was butchered by trade eventually he transitioned to be a chef. So from the early age, I was exposed to hospitality industry. I was, uh, my dad would, uh, you know, teach me not only how to cut meat and cook, but make sausages and, uh, you know, like, make, you know, smoke meats and stuff like that. I really fell in love with that. My mom, on the other hand, she would, uh, you know, always throw me, you know, in front of the house, you know, waiting tables and behind the bar and stuff. And, uh, you know, at the time, in Informing Yugoslavia, there was no child labor laws, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could. Uh, I, I, I literally think I started working. I'm not exaggerating. Maybe 13, 14 year old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so yeah, I came in, I, when I came to the United States. I clearly knew what I wanted to do. You know, first of all, I was so grateful to even have an opportunity to come here. Mm -hmm. You know, like to escape all that madness and stuff because we lost everything in the war house, restaurant, everything. We were like, oh my gosh. You know, uh, literally, like I had $50 in my pocket. I was 20 year old. No college degree, nothing. Didn't even speak English. All that well and stuff. But I ended up in a in a Hershey, Pennsylvania. And then uh, uh, just got fortunate enough. I started working some off jobs. Like uh, I believe my first job was dishwasher at the party. Uh, fast food restaurant. I'm not even sure they're still around. I, I mean, oh, I'm they are. I think they are. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> uh, Somehow. Out, we still see them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I was, uh, and then uh, shortly after maybe 15 couple, first couple months of me being in the United States, I got, I, uh, I, uh, I got a job at Hershey Country Club. And when I applied for the job there, I had, literally had no clue what the country club is all about. In my head, I guess I thought that was the place where they play country music. I guess that's what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Completely clueless. I walked in and then uh, um, and then I got interviewed and I got a job as a, as a waiter. I think it was in September and then later on in my career, I realized in September, it's very easy to get a job at the country club because majority of the college kids go back to college and then if you have a pulse, we'll hire you. <laughs> <laughs> but so how fortuitous. Like you, I know, that's you walked in and then like you never left. So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> that's how I uh, ended up at the, at the Hershey Country Club. Um, and I spent seven wonderful years there. And, uh, you know, met some, actually my best friend, I met, met him there. He was probably like second or third member I waited on with his wife and then we became super good friends and then uh uh he's now he's my son's uh, uh godfather and uh and uh, I to this day I still keep in touch with the people so yeah that, uh so eventually I got I keep getting a little promotion server and then 
became a bartender and then you know i became my own bar to run and this and that and yeah so yeah that was my beginning wow yeah what a transition i love that yeah so tell us how you how you got to where you are now at at uh up in maryland oh up in maryland so so eventually after i you know like i uh i spent about you know seven years working at hershey country club and uh, i really wanted to you know like normally you know naturally to better myself and uh uh you know to advance because uh so there was opportunity neighboring club lebanon country club entry-level position assistant manager right and uh, i applied for that position and then i was so fortunate last that you know i got the job and uh, i spent about five and a half years there kind of learned my trade uh, get get really to to be exposed to that management that minute mid management uh, side of the business and uh, went from assistant manager eventually i ended up being a clubhouse manager and about uh, after roughly five five and a half years uh, i thought i was ready to become a general manager and um, uh, so that, that's a very very that's probably most difficult transition going from mid-management to executive management role uh, however in order for me to do so i had to uh, pick up my family and move to ohio i was also i got a a job at the Tolina Country Club in uh, in Toledo, Ohio area, and uh, when I got there, you know, like uh, it was a uh, uh, in the middle of the recession, 2010, and then getting a job at the at the at the private club in a Rust Belt, uh, it was it was a little, you know, I would say kind of challenging. However, I I was so fortunate just to have opportunity, you know, just for somebody to give me opportunity to, so I can prove myself. And uh, after ne nearly five years, I think we've done some remarkable things over at the Sylvania Country Club. Uh, I, uh, I had an amazing team, and uh, that club was re really has a special place in my heart. And uh, if you would have asked me like in 2013 or 14, like where you want to stay the rest of your life, I would say it's a major country club. However, uh, things happened in my family. My father suddenly passed away. He lived in Chicago. And then my mom got ill. She lived back in Hershey. My mother-in-law, uh, as you might know, my wife is from Alexandria, Virginia. And then she, um, she did, she, she's, her, her health started deteriorating. So my wife was freaking out then I was like, we got to go back to the East Coast. We got to go back to the East Coast. Okay. And, uh, and then uh, we picked up, you know, and then came here to Lebanon, I mean, to uh, Maryland Golf and Country Club. That was nine years ago. Also, it was challenging in the beginning, but uh, obviously uh, I also seen it as a big, huge opportunity for us. And, uh, and, uh, not only for my family, for my career, but also for the club and the uh, rest is history. Right now, we just finished the, the, the largest uh, renovation in history of the club. And then membership is full club. We are, uh, we doubled our revenue since 2015. And then uh, I think that, uh, you know, it was a overall good move for everybody. And then, uh, yeah. That's how I ended up here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It sounds like you've had quite a journey and it, you know, mm -hmm. you keep, I think a recurring theme throughout everything you've been telling us is just how grateful you've been for the opportunities to prove yourself. I think in every step along the way, right? The opportunity yeah. to come to America and, and get out of, um, you know, Bosnia during a very difficult time. Um, the opportunity to work in a club, the opportunity to then take the next step and uh, continue to grow your career um, and I think that recurring theme kind of ties really well into our next conversation which is around mentorship um, and I know that that's something that's important to you so can you start by talking to us a little bit about you know who your mentors have been throughout your career and what they've um, you know given to you in that time oh absolutely and you know like uh, so so when you look at the mentors it's uh, 
you know, usually that's somebody from your industry, like uh, that same job or similar job, but kind of has more experience and kind of gets you under his or her wing, right? And uh, I had I had I had so many mentors. To these days, I have people that I really refer to and ask for advice, and I really appreciate their knowledge and expertise and guidance. Um, to, to, to name some people, you know, in particular, I would, I would definitely, I mean, the number one person I would say is a Jeffrey Fry. Jeff Fry is the uh, general manager at the Huntsville Golf Club in uh, Dallas, Pennsylvania. And when I met Jeff, it was back in 2004, he was general manager of Lebanon Country Club. And not only did Jeff and I became very good friends, uh, and then he became a mentor and I, again he gave me opportunity to actually get into club management business and it guided me through probably the best benefit from jeff that really i received that helped me in my career jeff came from that golf side of the business he was a he was a golf course superintendent before he became a golf uh, before he became a club manager and me coming from that uh, food and beverage background that was my strength however in order to be a very very successful you know club manager nowadays you really need to understand all aspects of the of the country private club industry private club business especially golf because we can you know golf is king in a country club world and uh, and then just just working with Jeff at Lebanon Country Club, and I, I would go to him, and he would set me up to go to the to the. I really wanted to learn the golf side of the business because I didn't know that was something that, that you know we don't play golf in in Formos. We have Balkans, you know, maybe we have two golf courses, right? And then when I came here, I did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, no kidding aside, right? Right. <laughs> Not a thing. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, also coming here to the United States, golf is very difficult, uh, uh, very difficult, uh, not only game to learn and play, but also to understand, especially golf course maintenance and management for somebody. You, you really have to, you know, to be a successful superintendent, you really have to, you know, have agronomy degree, understand all that stuff about grasses and better and soil and chemicals and all that stuff. And then, me as a club manager, I understood that I don't need to know all that, all that. However, I need to be able to speak their language and understand. And, 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 and what Jeff provided to me in that golf side of the business is that I could really have a great conversation with the, not only superintendents, but the golf professionals. And, and then they would always know that I understand what they're going through. I'm always on their side and I would always fight for them and have their back because I had a full complete understanding what the, I, I knew food and beverage that was natural that was second nature to me but just having understanding of that golf side of the business that was uh, that was amazing that and, and and you know big to this days you know I would ask Jeff and you know I would call him and you know we would talk about you know we just conducted the multi-million dollar golf course renovation and everything we've been doing i would just kind of share with him and was like, oh yeah that's good you guys doing great oh my god you know like i said you know they're you know our contract recommending different type of uh, bunkers who you think and then he would say like well if you do if you go with this and it's always good to have somebody like that who, who doesn't have a skin in the game who really just loves you wants to help you to give you that kind of advice i think that's invaluable Oh, 100%. 100%. Having that kind of um, constant space for feedback and someone to bounce ideas off of or concerns is so valuable. And I think, um, you know, whenever we have these conversations every year, when we talk to the club executive of the year, I think we always have that nugget of like, I had one person in my career that is still to this day the person that I want to go to and talk to when I have a question or a concern. And I love that. I love that that's such um, a big part of this industry and so influential in so many people's lives because I think it begets, it continually begets good management practices. 
is continuing to have that idea of mentorship and, and leadership that we can lean back on and then pay forward, um, which I think then leads to our next question, which is about your mentees, because clearly this oh. idea of mentorship is very important to you. <laughs> so oh, how, have, how have you turned that around and, and in your position now as a GM, how are you mentoring others? So, so, so I was I was very fortunate to have so many so many uh, professionals and young younger professionals that that work and still that worked and still work with me, and I really try to to, to fill fill in that role of mentor. Uh, uh, amazing thing is that Jeff Fry had a, had a has a daughter has a daughter has a daughter. Her name is Abigail. And I met Abigail when she was 12 year old. She was always around the club, and uh, and then you know, like I just loved the kid. And even to this day, I looked at Abby as my second daughter and stuff. And uh, so Abby went to, to college. She had the golf scholarship here at St. Mary's, and then she really wanted to be in a in a club industry. She wanted to be in a club business, and then she she got jobs at the different you know private clubs in food and beverage role. And then when I had opening here in Maryland Golf and Country Club, I reached out to her. I said, Abby, I have a good opening for you. She was like, I'm, I'm, I'm in. When do I start, pretty much? So uh, I've I been with Abby for about, you know, she were, she's been here for about five years. And she did an amazing job for us. So, like, her dad was my mentor. And actually, I started feeling in her mentor. I think that's true. We were, like, my son, my son. That's his, Abby's her family. He tells her, like, Abby, your family here. And then Abby recently moved on. She got a, you know, promotion and great job at the Ronami Golf Club. And I was, like, so happy. I'm more happy for her getting that job than even if I would land some great job. And then she just texted me uh, this week. And she says, oh, my God, Boris, guess what? I just signed up for CCM exam. And I was, like, yeah. I mean, so that really makes me uh I mean that that's worth living to see the people you know like being successful in the industry. So she's one that I really I'm so proud of uh, to be working with her and, and trying to fill that role of a mentor. And I, right now I have I have some you know great great employees here that uh, I I'd like to like another one Rachel Williams she's uh, she actually got an average job. She started here as an intern. Back in I believe 2016, 2017, she was uh, uh, she was at the Johnson and Wales University. She was their uh, uh, student chapter president, and she worked with um, her professor was Matt Samuel. Speaking about mentors, great people, right? Yeah. We love Matt. Matt <laughs> yeah, Matt's, a, Matt's a friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and uh, working on my when I was working on my master club manager. Program and designation Matt was my uh, academic advisor, right? Helped me a lot. I mean, like I could have done it without him. I'm forever grateful to that guy. And uh, and then uh, and Matt recommended Rachel, you know, to come here, you know, to do uh, mentorship. I mean, uh, to internship here at the club. And we got her in, and then she was first manager in training. Then she got a position assistant manager. Uh, assistant food and beverage manager, and now she's a banquet manager, and Rachel's in charge of over $1 million of revenue all at her own. She's 24-year-old, and then not only that, she moved, not only does she move from Long Island, her family moved from Long Island to Bel Air, Maryland, so Rachel has the opportunity to stay here, and I'm just, I just see, I mean, like, the sky's the limit for her. Another one that, you know, currently my assistant G GM, uh, Adam Cowan, he he came here. He was uh, he started as assistant food and beverage manager, same role as Rachel. Right now, he's eligible. I think next year he's going to become five club manager, and then uh, Adam is running like a clubhouse pool. I mean, Adam is in charge of about over two and a half million dollars on his own. And then five years ago, he was just—I uh, mean, he was—he uh, came here to be a assistant FB manager and learn the trade. So those are some of the people I have. People, and you know, I just—you know—I don't 
if I start mentioning people in my career, I, I'll miss somebody. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I can, no, but honestly, I worked with so many wonderful, wonderful individuals. I really tried to help. Now they're so successful, and you know, like uh, it's so it's so I, evident I, to me how important relationships are for you, Boris. And I think that that is such an admirable quality. Um, especially in a leader, I think it's really cool that you can recognize how you can learn and grow from the other people that are around you. And I think, you know, you didn't say this explicitly, but just in the way that you are talking about your your mentees, um, I think it's clear that you're learning and growing from... This is funny. <laughs> funny. Um, the fact that you are learning and growing from your mentees is also something that I think is really, really cool. And I think it demonstrates just how, um, how mentorship is really a two way street and how we all have something to learn from everyone that we work with. And we're not too important or too big or too smart to, to, to take that step back and learn from somebody who maybe isn't advanced in their career as we are, but they have a different perspective or a different experience that could enhance what we're doing. Um, and it's clear to me that that's something that's important to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So thinking about other things that bring you inspiration or, you know, fill your cup in ways, um, you know, we talked a lot about relationships, but what other things, um, inspire you and this can be books podcasts like um, i don't know a movie music i don't know what is it what what brings you well, thoughts and inspiration so so speaking like yeah i'll go back to mentorship you know that there is, as i said there were a lot of people that really really influenced me and in, in my life and my career i'm so grateful for uh, and then another person I would like to mention at the time, he was clubhouse manager, 11 on country club. Uh, uh, his name is Brian Kelly. He left the business since. And, uh, but, uh, I started, when I started there, I started working with him and he, he was just wealth of knowledge. Just some of the things he taught me back like 15, 20 years ago, when I met him, I still implementing nowadays successfully. So, and I, you know, when I got, you know, in the club management business, you know, uh, going from that being like employee or, or that like to, to the mid management, I was rough. You know what I mean? I, I even wrote the article once at the club manager magazine about that transition of becoming a, I don't know if is laughing right now, but she probably read it. You know, and I admit it, I was rough and I needed, you know, I was uh, rough on the edges and then, uh, I would say that my management style was a little different. It was a little kind of like Eastern European management style, <laughs> you know, which was not, you know, which might be frowned upon <laughs> in some <laughs> environments, right? However, one of the things that Brian was very patient, patient with me, and uh, he he recommended one book, one particular book that's like timeless classic. It is a uh, how to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I read that book several times, many times, right? And then every time, I mean, in my about 25 years, I've been at two management roles. So, but every time I would, before I would take the management role or go, at, go to a different cl club, right? I would make sure I read that book and remind myself because it's so important to establish that relationship with people. We're in people business. Unless you establish that relationship with people, you're not going to be successful. And then that was an amazing book that, that, uh, that, you know, like I'm grateful for Brian that he recommended to me. Another thing good with, 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 uh, with Brian was that we, we hit and uh, we're both very uh, into our faith. We're both like Christians, right? And then uh, the book that at the time he recommended to me, and I always have it in my desk, and I always refer to it. It's always beat up. It's a, a, a leadership Bible by John C. Maxwell. John C. Maxwell was a you know great inspirational speaker. He happened to be a pastor, and he wrote his Bible. And then I would refer to that book a lot, and I would have to make especially difficult decisions, whether it's a, whether it's a life or a career and stuff. 
So those will be two 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 books I would that really changed my career path. And on top of that, uh, recently I really fell in love with tribal leadership by Dave Logan. And then that was the book that uh, not only that I fell in love with it, my entire team uh, read it, and then we created a it's called Tribal Council. We we use the principles from this tribal leadership, and we meet at least once or twice a month. And then, like, like uh, with no chiefs, we're all equal. We, as a tribe, we discuss issues and obstacles uh, that we're facing as a team, and then we're fun, coming up with the solutions. And everybody gives their input and stuff. And uh, and then, then, then you know, they go and then uh, they create their little. Uh, uh, not tribes, what is it called, uh, triads or something, you know, like underneath the tribe. And then, you know, that's how they implement. And I'll tell you, the like, results from this, you know, tribal leadership uh, concept are just amazing. You know, the morale of the staff, uh, productivity, everybody feels important. And, you know, when you look at, you know, at, the, at our kitchen here, like average tenure, it's 10 plus years. Yeah, you find a kitchen in America that people say, that long because you know uh, we look at the employees here they're like five years ten years twenty years thirty years and so yeah so those those would be some uh, some uh, sources that I would find it you know inspiring for me so. uh, don't worry I just immediately added all three of those to my uh, Goodreads <laughs> to be read list so thank um, you for that. <laughs> Well, it's evident that you got a lot of motivation from those around you. Um, but what, you know, 25 years into this business, what motivates you? What keeps you going every day? So with all honesty, what, what really motivates me at this point in my career, and another thing that I talk to, to some of my mentors and stuff, in the hospitality industry, you don't really get in the hospitality industry. People that come in the hospitality industry, they don't come from with these fancy degrees and this wealth and stuff. Usually people that are in this hospitality, it's like uh, people that are uh, low to medium income families that get a job there or, you know, and then well, what's very specific about our industry and especially uh, private club management, not only that if you work hard, if you're dedicated, if you have that hospitality hard, you really have a lot of opportunity to advance and better yourself. Not only better yourself, better your kids, change the gen generational trajectory. So I had like, you know, like myself, I was like, you know, like little 20 year old refugee with 50 bucks on JFK by myself, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then now I'm, 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 I'm pretty okay. And then my kids get to go to nice schools and, you know, I have a nice, you know, standard of living. What really motivates me is to, to see people like that, that that would come in our industry, recognize that they can really not only better themselves, but change that generational trajectory and stuff. And then I think just helping those people, creating pathways for them, I think that that that's what really that's a driving force for me right now. And while while you're doing that, you actually create you build this this nice clubs and do renovations and you create these parties. But that's all like you know byproduct of having these people grow and better themselves. And uh, so so I, I does that answer your question? Absolutely. I think that's I, that's a stellar perspective, and I love that. Yeah. Um, you, you were. You were honest with us earlier kind of about that transition from, you know, to becoming an assistant manager and, and, and that being a little, little tough. So, you know, what's in your career to date, what has been the most meaningful for professional lesson that you have learned? Yeah, you'll learn a lot of lessons, but probably the, the, the ones I always refer and I tell, you know, I tell to, 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 you know, to my staff, my co-workers is in order to be successful, in the private club industry, in especially in out of all hospitality branches, our industry, you really have to be excellent in what you do because that's expected of you. 
that is just who we are. We have to be excellent. And excellence is not a, it's not a skill. Excellence, it's an attitude. So, so we here at Maryland Golf and Country Club can, and we do get people with no skills. And we've proven time and time again. And we teach them the trade. But unless they have a good attitude, unless they have that, 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 that genuine love to take care of people and each other, they're not going to become excellent. Therefore, they're not going to be successful. I always tell, you know, like chef, I worked with many chefs in my career. Some of them are amazing. I said, like, unless you really, truly enjoy seeing people eating the food you and your team cooked and enjoying it, and if that doesn't give you buzz, you're, you're in rug industry. Yeah. I, and then, you know, like, I'll teach you, like, I mean, you can cook the best, best steak mm -hmm. in the world, the best uh, crab cake, best this and that. Unless people consuming that food, unless that food puts smiles on their faces and you get that warmth around your heart and stuff. You're not an excellent chef. I'm sorry. Right. You know, your skills are irrelevant. You know, you're, you're not a full package. I'm not picking a chef. But, you know, when I work with chefs, that's how I tell them. Same thing with the golf course superintendent. It says, unless, you know, you really enjoy creating this amazing, like, fairway cuts and, and these bunkers are perfectly raked and these pin placements are in the um, you know, great position. They're really going to challenge, but not upset members and stuff. Unless you really look at those details, and that gives you satisfaction when they go out. You say, "Oh my God, they're going to read this today." I really set up this golf course nicely. Uh, you might, you might be the best, you know, grass grower in the world, but uh, you know, you're you're not excellent. Excellent. It's all about attitude and about that love and that in our industry. So that, that was that was one of the lessons. Not, not only that I learned in my career, but I actually teach. I love that. I think that's a really good conversation around mindset, right? Like you can be operationally great at your job. You could be excellent at coming in, doing the work, going home, whatever. Great quality of work. But I think you're right. I think really to ascend to that level of true excellence, there has to be an emotional tie to it. There has to be some kind of like emotional buy-in to what you're doing to feel that almost gratitude to whomever you're helping with your work for enjoying it or having a good time or giving you positive feedback or anything like that. Like that has to be part of that equation, I think. I think that's really interesting. I never thought about it that way, but it makes a yeah. lot of sense. Absolutely. I know. I'll name 10 managers in the country that, uh, you know, can crunch numbers and do yeah. budgets better than me. And, you know, <laughs> I'll make a, I'll take 20 that can probably, you know, like do some technical things better than me. And, you know, I'm fine with it. But, you know, do they, I don't know how much they love, I don't know right. how, much they, how much they're passionate. I, I really believe that, you know, I'm so passionate about what I do that that just, come secondary you know what I mean like right. I know I can right. do it I have those skills but that's not you know yeah no I love not, that that's, that's, that doesn't make me excellent in what I do my passion right. my love for people it builds a good foundation for doing excellent work mm -hmm. and I think that that's right. so important um you know we you know talking about professional lessons that we've learned i think also goes hand in hand with receiving criticism and over any of us in our careers as grown adults in the workforce <laughs> have certainly received criticism of some kind and while receiving criticism can be really difficult and sometimes really uncomfortable and not fun um it can also be very helpful you know that that feedback that we get from other people even if it's maybe coming in a less than positive way can be very informative in how we move forward in our careers so we would like to know what is the best piece of criticism that you have received and how did that impact you moving forward? So you're implying that club managers actually receive criticism? 
Oh, yeah. No, never. Not even <laughs> one time. No one would dare. <laughs> I don't think anybody receives more. I think like, like that's that's part of your job. I mean, Literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think we get criticized. Uh, we get like club managers. You get criticized. Uh, you get criticism by members. You get criticized by staff. You get criticized by your spouse. You get criticized by your kids. Yes. And then, and I'll tell you one thing. Speaking about criticism, you know, like to be successful in this industry. You know, you really need to kind of know, you know, first of all, have a thick skin. If you have a thin skin, I mean, they'll chew you up, spit you up. You know, that's number one. Number two, the advice always, I, I go by and I I, uh, I share with, with my, you know, mentees and stuff and colleagues in the industry says, do not take criticism from people you would never go for advice. Okay. If you don't, Think that those people you would ask somebody for advice, their criticism is really relevant. However, to be successful, if you really, you really have to keep your ears to the ground and be able to discern that good criticism that comes your way because that's how you grow. Because if you think that you're perfect, that nobody can criticize you and nobody can give you advice, uh, trust me. Uh, that's a big criticism by itself. Yes. <laughs> <You're not>. yes. <laughs> you know, you so so with that being said, you know, I've been, you know, of course I've been criticized, you know, like everybody else. However, one of the things that I really struggled in my life and that positive criticism that came towards me from the board, like club presidents I worked with, as well as my, you know, staff members was you know, like I'm, I love people, and then I love people. That's why I, I, I'm in the hospitality industry. Hospitality mm -hmm. industry is for people around people. However, sometimes that that love of the people might cloud my judgment in certain ways. Okay, sometimes uh, I would make. I'm always forgiving second and third chance, especially when it comes to employees. And then sometimes, you know, I, I was criticized about that. At some point, people said, Boris, you really should rethink that person. I said, and then I said, well, I see something in that person that nobody else sees. But, you know, like uh, uh, eventually to my career, I, I started relying more on my, because I know that's my weakness. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's my weakness. You know, I, I always want to see the good in the people and stuff. And I started relying on my, definitely my co-workers, my staff and the board, and actually encouraged them to kind of give me that kind of feedback and criticism if I'm not doing something. Because, you know, sometimes in my career, my compassion for people, my emotion clouded my business decisions. And then it never, it never ended up, uh, what I was doing, I was postponing and vendable. You know, I was just, I was just, Putting stuff under. I wasn't doing myself, my organization, or the person any favor. Right. But not acting sooner than later. And then that's one of the, you know, I thought about, you know, like about this question. And I think that would be probably the, some of the criticism I received uh, in my career that really helped me uh, not to be a better person, to be a better manager. Mm -hmm. You know, but ultimately you have to be a good, good fair manager, and then uh, and sometimes you have to make tough decisions, and then uh, it's you know you don't want to be like a, like a like a psychopath just firing people around. But sometimes you really have to you know like uh, put that emotion aside and look mm -hmm. from the business perspective. What is the best for the organization first, for the club, for the team? And for that person, because a lot of times, you know. So yeah, that would be that would be one of the things that uh, probably the best criticism I ever I ever uh, received is that uh, I was too emotional, too compassionate. Or, you know, that that's, makes you feel good. Yeah, but, right. You know, <laughs> right. That's that's <laughs> like a that's like one Help. of those like. Oh, it's a negative about me, but it's actually a positive about me because I'm so compassionate and empathetic. 
and I struggled with it. I said, these people don't see what I see, but mm-hmm. but they've seen it. I mean, they've seen it better than I've seen it because my, sure. my judgment was clouded by my emotions and, and then my personality and stuff. Sometimes I think uh, criticism like that can provide us with an objective perspective on something that we are perhaps a little bit too close to be truly objective about. Um, that type of criticism gives us some more self-awareness that perhaps we didn't have before. Um, and I think you're right. I think that can be really, really helpful. And I think the way you've applied it in terms of, um, you know, recognizing something about yourself that is generally a positive, right? Like being compassionate and empathetic and is something that we, I think, want to see in our leaders. Um but recognizing, you know, kind of the boundary of how far can I extend that before it starts impacting my... Everybody else around my... Correct. Correct. Exactly. And I think that that's really important. So I'm I'm glad that that's the type of criticism that you've grown from, um, because I think it's something that we all can appreciate uh, from the sense of like, not all criticism is like, you're terrible and all of your ideas are bad. (laughs) It's actually like, no, you're quite good, but you could be better. And this is how. Um, And I think that that's fantastic. So great nugget. Thank you for sharing that. Um, We are nearing the end of our conversation, um, and I just wanted to reiterate to you, Boris, how grateful we are for for you joining us today, and, you know, congratulations again on this honor, because it really is um, wonderful to be named the Club Executive of the Year, and I think that you're a great, you know, luminary and example of of what we want that award to represent. Um, Thinking into 2024, what are you looking forward to most? What's next on your plate? It can be work-related. It could be personal. Tell us what you've got coming down the pike. Well, you know, I don't really, you know, have some some great plans for 2024. Well, uh, work-related, you know, as I said, we're continuing with improving Maryland Golf and Country Club. I'm working on that currently and on several smaller and medium-sized projects. We're continuing the you know, we're going to conduct like major uh, refurbish and re- revamp of our banquet facilities. That's uh, uh, that's going to be, you know, something that's going to keep me, you know, pretty busy for the next several months. We're in the process of uh, re- re- redoing and rewriting our strategic plan. So we're creating the, the pathway and goals for the staff and the board for the next five years. What's next in store for this Mental and Golf and Country Club? I know my uh, my son is about to finish uh, uh, the eighth grade, and then uh, 2024 is going to be a uh, first year of high school, so that's exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean that's pretty much you know uh, nothing crazy. They may doesn't have any additional certification. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make one up for you. Process, we'll work, on, we'll work on that. Yeah, we'll make a special Boris certification just for you. But yeah, I really don't have a, like a, so just a, you know, typical, uh, you know, club manager, you know. You know, just the use. You know, yeah. I actually kind of love that. It's it's kind of nice to, you know, just be able to say, I don't have anything big or crazy on my plate. I'm just trying to keep moving forward with life in a good way and make good things happen and I think that's great. That's we should probably all take a little bit of that and and yeah. into our 2024. <laughs> Let's looking all just forward, try to keep being good. <laughs> looking forward to see and hang out with all of you guys down in uh, Vegas last year. I've never been to Vegas in my life, so that's going to be a first time. It, it's and, a, uh, yeah. it's a trip. It's going to be so fun. And, We're really looking and then, forward and to it. it. And then and then and then I'll share this for the end. The crazy thing, like it's going to be my wife's 50th birthday. And we were thinking about going to different places. So how crazy it would be? It's an, believe it or not, on March sixth. <laughs> it is the award ceremony. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. So, Melissa, we write that down. About Israel, going to Israel, right? And we were considering that, but you know, like uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. So I said, like I asked my wife, I said, how about we go to Vegas? She goes, uh, what's in Vegas? And I was like, well. Uh, conference she goes oh yeah let's go so for <laughs> <laughs> love it so yeah and then it's gonna be great that uh, this ceremony war ceremony will be at her birthday so we can celebrate oh that's perfect 
what a good celebration. And she doesn't mind me telling people that she turned 50. She's really proud of it. She sounds like she's got her stuff together then, if she doesn't mind yeah. that. Yeah. So good. Anyway. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Good. Well, that feeling is mutual. We are also very excited about Vegas and getting to celebrate and honor you as well. Um, and now that we have that other little tidbit of information, hmm, that's good to know. Anyways, <laughs> we'll just file that away into our little back planning pockets. So, uh, <laughs> Boris, as always, it is such a pleasure to get to chat with you. We are so fortunate um, to get to have guests like you on our podcast and to have managers like you as part of our organization. Um, you know, I think you, again, you really typify what we want our club executive of the year to be. And it's really, um, I think it's really special that you've been honored with this award and thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing about your journey in club management and, and what you've learned along the way. I've learned a lot in just the last hour. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you too, and thank you to CMA. I mean, I, I'm so grateful. I, I love CMA. Like uh, uh, they call me CMA guy. Like everybody, <laughs> even my board now. Like uh, you know, like okay, what's new in CMA? Uh, I love <laughs> yeah. that. I'm so grateful because you know, like a big part of my life. I, I was just thinking about this. Like probably 95% of my people I'm in the contact. I mean, I I have a contact with are either from clubs or from CMAA, honestly, friends. And, you know, I like, so this is my entire world. And then, you know, CMAA just gave me opportunity to, you know, to get this, this education and certification, opportunity to see the country and different clubs and meet so many wonderful people and create so many friendships. I'm, I'm forever grateful. So, you know, God bless CMAA. That's all. Uh. That All right. is a perfect note to end on. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't get better than that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Boris. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, again, B Boris was such a pleasure and a delight to talk to. I learned so much more about him um, as a person, obviously as a professional, um, but I'm real proud that he is our CEOY this year, and I think he will represent us, you all, I say us, like I'm included in this, he'll represent all of us so well, but it's true, um, he really will, he's a, a really good shining star in the association, and we're really proud to be able to give him this honor. Um, moving on, we have a few quick announcements that we want to make sure that we touch on before we sign off for this episode. First and foremost, last week was Giving Tuesday, and you, if you are connected with CMAA at all on social media, um, you probably saw like one thing about it. It's not like we were putting stuff out all day long. Were we, Melissa? I don't know. Mm. They were definitely anyway. hourly. <laughs> Um, but we just wanted to take a moment and give a big shout out to everyone who spent time on Giving Tuesday, donated to the Club Foundation, participated in the Chapter Challenge, and you know really gave some of their time, talent, and treasure to the to the Club Foundation because it's it's such an important piece of what we do here at CMAA and uh, how we can continue to support our members throughout the year. Um, do you have those numbers, Melissa, off the top of your head? I'm gonna shuffle some papers around, make it sound like I have those off the top of my head. But while, while I'm looking for those numbers, we do wanna send a special shout out to our three partners who uh, stepped in to help sponsor our prize hours. So really big thank yous to uh, Royal Cup Coffee and Tea, to Jonas Club Software and Club Procure. They made it possible for us to have an amazing coffee hour, amazing lunch hour, amazing, amazing happy hour, and to really help uh, drive up donations during that time period. And shout out to all of our winners who've been announced on social media. Congratulations. Uh, there were some great prizes this year, so cannot thank our partners enough for stepping in and helping out with that. All right, I have found the numbers. So <laughs> this year, um, Nationwide Giving Tuesday generated more than $3 billion for nonprofits of all sizes and missions. At the Club Foundation, we were able to raise over $17,500 
to fund scholarships and grants for CMAA members and the industry. And that is the total collected from the time we launched the chapter challenge to when Giving Tuesday closed at midnight. So that's really fantastic. That is a 30% increase um, in number of donations and an increase in total contributions. So, I mean, truly, we were blown away by the participation this year. And again, our, our thanks is probably not enough <laughs> to everyone who took some time and donated. Um, just real quick, the winners of the chapter challenge um, included, in first place, Wisconsin Badger chapter. They raised <laughs> more than 114% of their goal. In second place was National Capital chapter, who raised 110% of their goal. And in third place was the Georgia chapter, who also raised over 100% of their goal at 107%. So incredible wow. fundraising efforts by our chapters. Um, again, we couldn't be more grateful for everyone who chipped in and donated on Giving Tuesday. So thank you all. Absolutely. What else, and Melissa? I just want to say a special shout out to our colleague, Ava Spies, who's the mastermind behind uh, Giving Tuesday. So thank you so much. She did a phenomenal job. And um, all, through that generosity, all of those funds are going to go towards the Club Foundation Scholarship and Grants programming. So very, Absolutely. very exciting. So what what else? You know, we're uh, we're 90 days from a really, really amazing big event, the World Conference and Club Business Expo coming up in the city of luck, Las Vegas, Nevada, March 4th through the 8th. So just a huge reminder to all of our listeners, if you're planning to be there, now is the time to register. We are coming up on our early registration deadline, which is Wednesday, December 20th. Uh, these are the best rates you will find for conference registration. So take advantage. Don't let the holidays pass you by without forgetting to do this. You know, get in there, get the best rates, and get into the activities. I know we have already sold out several of our events uh, at conference. So the Club Foundation Golf Tournament is sold out. But if you're interested in getting on a wait list, reach out. I'm happy yep. to make that happen for you uh, through our amazing colleague, Ava Spies. Uh, but as well, there are a lot of other events that I know are really getting close. So I know the, uh, the Wine Society dinner is getting close. You do need to be a Wine Society member to attend that. But there are still seats available at that dinner. And more you know, information on how to um, purchase a ticket for that is available online at, on our website. And you can also find it in upcoming communications. So if you receive Chapter Digest, you'll see about it later this week. Yeah, there's so many great activities with our pre-conference workshops. Uh, we've got strategy, we've got wine, we've got all sorts of great stuff. The Bicycle Chautauqua, brand new walking Chautauqua, we've got the Yacht Club Symposium. So many great activities, but especially those all do have limits. So definitely check that out. Um, we definitely want to see you there. And if you've already reserved your spot at World Conference, great, but please make sure you make your hotel reservation. Yes. So, so many great things. So excited about this event um, and can't wait for you all to hear some of the amazing speakers that we have on tap for you. Absolutely. We are working like busy little worker bees to put this event together. Um, we're really looking forward to presenting it to you in March. And with that, I think that wraps us up for this episode, Melissa. Um, as I mentioned before, we've got two more episodes coming to you this month. We will have a legislative and regulatory update, a What's Up in Washington episode with our good friend here, Miss Melissa Lowe, our in-house expert on all things government relations. <laughs> and then we will be rounding out the year with our favorite, favorite episode, which is our best of 2023. Um, and we'll hopefully have some fun little trivia in there, too. We're going to quiz each other. And Absolutely. it will be a fun little guessing game. <laughs> and you can play along. So thank you so you much for joining along. us this month. And... I'm Melissa Lowe. She's Kyle Denning. This is Let's Talk Love Management. And you're our favorite, favorite listeners. So. Yes. Bye. Bye. We've lost it. We have. The Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. 
The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org org.